0: You can always tell when i found preparing a passage uh, quite difficult to understand because I usually put a handout in. And the more stuff that's on the handout usually means I found it more difficult. The more there is, the harder I found it. But we're going to look at this, uh, these few verses uh, together tonight. Oh, a question for you as we start. Uh, what is it that delights you, excites and occupies your affections, Uh, We do live in an age of gadgets, uh, countless must-have gizmos. Uh, I couldn't resist coming up to the church last weekend to see our new computerised cooker uh, that's over in the hall. I'll admit no one was there, uh, so I turned it on and had a little play with it myself. Uh, The blue digital screen is just the kind of thing that delights me. It was short-lived, of course. I wasn't up helping to cook at Friday Club Summer Experience during the week. My delight didn't go that far. Uh, for the catering, we had a batch of wonderful ladies to thank for that. But it's, it's like that with a lot of things, isn't it, that uh, delight us initially. Gadgets, games, even home furnishings, we quickly tire of them. I understand that granite work surfaces are the latest thing for kitchens, uh, but a friend of mine predicts uh, skips will be full of them in a few years. Current kitchen fashion will wear out long before the granite does. Other things delight us as well. They have that kind of good sweetness to them, not the kind of saccharin sickly, but a a good sweetness uh, that your imagination immediately develops a taste for. And you feel, I want more of this. Uh, Good books, even films will do it. Uh, The story is so enthralling. Uh, You get to the end uh, and you don't want it to stop. I remember that feeling uh, reading the Narnia Chronicles when I I was younger. I knew that every page I I read in the final book, The Last Battle, uh, was a page closer to the end. And I didn't want it to stop. Uh, The sweetness of the story captured me. Uh, I wanted to stay there, delighted, listening to Aslan. Uh, But all books, all delightful stories come to an end, even Harry Potter. uh, Yet we're always on the lookout, aren't we, for things that delight us. So let me ask you again, what is it uh, that delights you? Well, The reason for asking is because the Bible speaks of someone who is so infinitely wonderful uh, that he's able to delight you infinitely. And he's so able to guarantee your future that he can offer you this delight eternally. And we start to get a glimpse of this eternal delight and these three verses we read from Mark. Uh, we ended in verse 37 hearing these words uh, The large crowds listened to Jesus with delight. And we'll find the delightful topic of discussion was well, it was Jesus himself. And now you read Mark's account of Jesus and you discover the crowds are more than fickle. Delight one day, contempt the next. But I, I still think Mark uh, wants us to see a uh, delight is a right response to the Lord Jesus. He is to become the object of your delight. And to taste in his words a pure sweetness that has you thinking, I must hear more. See, what is it that delights you? Now, is it the Lord Jesus? Actually, to read that anyone was delighted with him seems out of place in the section we've been studying on Sunday evenings over the past few weeks. Do you remember what's been happening? Let me give you a brief recap. Back in Mark chapter 11, Jesus came to the temple, the heart of Israel's religious life, and he judged it. He said in terms of the life that God required, they were fruitless. There was nothing good there. They, like all of us, were under God's judgment. If they were going to be right with God... And they would need something else, a rescue. And again, as we've seen over these past few weeks, the Jewish leaders were furious. And they confront Jesus with questions about his authority, about what God requires, about judgment and eternal life. But they do it in the most hostile and duplicitous way. And the confrontation is is depressingly sad. At one stage, the Sadducees, a group amongst the Jewish leaders, mock the very idea of resurrection and judgment. And Jesus says they've wandered so far from God's word, they are badly mistaken. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, Andrew explaining about that? The sense there is you're completely lost. You've wandered so far away, you're lost. Uh, then, last week, we read what what seems to be the first genuine question in this section. A teacher of the law asks, uh, what is the greatest commandment? Uh, and he's meaning there, how, how will God judge us? How will eternal life, eternal delight or eternal despair, how will heaven or hell be decided by the law? And Jesus replied in verse 30, of mark chapter 12 and love god with all your heart soul mind and strength and, and love your neighbor as yourself and in the midst of all that hostility this teacher of the law seems to accept jesus's words and draws from jesus uh, that tantalizing comment you're not far from the kingdom of god Now, when I hear that, I I want him to explain more. What does he mean by uh, not far from the kingdom of God? And how do you get from not far to right in the place where you find real life? Uh, But the hostile questions stop. Uh, Jesus has dealt with them all. He knows God's word better than any of them. And now, as Ralph Martin puts it in his comments on these verses, after a day of questions, comes the question of the day. Verse 35. See, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, how is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? So no longer answering, Jesus is asking the questions now. Isn't he? Well, actually, it's odd because for some reason, both the NIV and the ESV miss out a couple of words at the beginning of that verse. And uh, The verse actually starts by saying, and answering... While Jesus was teaching, he asked. "I See, this is a question that's really an answer. And you know how you'll know what that's like. The wife who says to her husband, are oh, you going to sit in front of the TV all day, isn't really looking for an answer, is she? Or she's telling you something. You're a lazy slob. Or well, the husband who says, how many pairs of shoes do you need to try on before we leave, isn't really looking for you to answer, oh, about 10 to 20 he's telling you something isn't he hurry up i've got a friend who who manages to ask questions that often seem more insightful uh, than most of my answers Uh, there are questions aren't there that uh, that in themselves begin to provide answers you've been looking for they help you uh, look at things so you see more clearly Instead of just uh, telling you something that would put your defences up, the question allows you to, to think about things and, and begin to see it for yourself. They get past your defences. So to hear with Jesus, his question is designed to lead us to answers. How is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David. I understand what's behind this from the old testament there was no doubt that the messiah the the christ would be a son a descendant of david what the teachers of the law appeared to be saying was that's all he's going to be Uh, that's all he'll be another merely human king who might possibly live up to king david's impressive standards behind that view of life is the notion that that all we need is the best humanity can offer the ideal leader who'll be an inspiration I met a young Irish chap on holiday earlier this year. He told me he was a spiritual person. We had some good conversations. He mentioned all the great leaders that he looked up to. John Lennon, Che Guevara, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Jesus Christ. He spoke warmly about them all. Doing what the teachers of the law wanted to do. Reduce the Christ to a mere human leader. So you see their problem with Jesus. Oh, he comes to the temple, uh, walking into it. How was it Paul put it back in the first week as we started this series? He walked around as if he owned the place. He came not just as an inspiration. He came claiming to be able to judge people. And uh, forgive sins. And deal with death. Oh, he's acting like God. That's not something King David ever did. Uh, that's not something the teachers of the law said that Christ should do. And Jesus asks, how is it they say that? And then he quotes Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I've put the whole of the psalm on the reverse side of your handout just so you can look at it without flicking around the Bible as we'll look at both of these together. But here's the first thing to learn from Jesus' comments. A King David delighted to hear of God exalting his Christ. A King David delighted to hear of God exalting his Christ. I I doubt whether knowing the authorship of a psalm was ever more important than here. Because if David wrote it, which he did... He reveals something about the Christ. Uh, the Psalm's a little confusing, not least because of the limitations of our English translations. You, you see there's two Lords in the, in the Psalm, but they, they look, one is capital letters, one smaller. The Lord with capital letters, that's uh, translated from the word uh, Yahweh, the personal covenant name for God. The Lord with small, smaller letters, that's Adonai. That can mean sovereign or master, like a king. Uh, Jesus is saying he's that Lord, that's the Christ. And David is letting us in on a conversation he gets to hear between these two figures, the Lord Yahweh and Lord the Christ. It starts in Mark twelve thirty six or, or Psalm 110, verse 1. At, the Lord says to my Lord. And Jesus makes his point very simply in verse 37 in Mark. David, King David, calls the Christ Lord. How then can he be his son? it's clear isn't it david is the king and yet he calls the christ his lord now the christ was certainly to be a descendant of david but the teachers of the law had it wrong david knew the christ would be far greater than him i remember lewis green telling me about a friend at university it was the first day of term he was standing outside the lecture room it was locked, and they were all waiting for a porter to open the door. He got chatting to one of the other female students who was there, making conversation. He said, have you done the preparation reading for this lecture? She replied that she had, and he said, oh, I never bother. I reckon you can always bluff your way through the first couple of lectures. Uh, the porter came, and Lucy's friend was surprised to see the girl he was talking to go to the front of the room, unpack her bag, <laughs> settle everyone down and ask, right, who's done their reading for my lecture? you getting the identity of a lecture wrong is embarrassing the teachers of the law have gone way beyond embarrassment haven't they see Psalm 110 verse 1 the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet see this Christ is no mere human king Oh, he is, he is human. You'll see that even from the poetry of verse 7 in the psalm. He will drink from a brook beside the way. He'll, he'll get thirsty and drink like any man. But that's not the full story on the Christ. He is raised up to sit at God's right hand. He shares God's throne, God's rule. He is equal with God. Uh, the Christ is God and man. And God has given him authority to rule everything. I put that little diagram on your handout to kind of explain how the psalm works. And in verses 1 and 4, the Lord Yahweh speaks to his Christ while King David listens in. And then it's almost as if David is so delighted with what he hears that he can't help himself from commenting. In verses 2 and 3, he speaks to the Christ and in verses 5 to 7 he speaks to the Lord David looks at who the Lord is appointing to be the ruler of the universe and he's delighted with his choice I don't know if you've seen it I went to see the the film Die Hard 4.0 a a few weeks back Uh, Bruce Willis, it's your usual action hero film Bruce Willis plays detective John McClane he's incredible, saves the day he's one of these guys that you shoot him and he hardly flinches it's incredible. At one point in the film, he, he jumps on the back of a jet plane from which the pilot has ejected uh, with its engine on fire as it flat spins towards the ground. And he still manages to get to safety and save the day. Uh, you look at films like that, you see guys like that, and we joke, don't we, that's the kind of guy you want looking out for you. Uh, you want John McClane protecting you. He's, he's a real hero, Except John McClane isn't a hero, he's fictional. King David, on the other hand, well, he really was a hero, wasn't he? If you grew up going to Sunday school, you would have heard the stories. He'd been chased for his life. He'd fought Goliath to save his people. Men followed King David willingly into battle. And yet this hero looks at the Christ And is delighted. And in his delight says, he's my Lord. So you just listen to David, Psalm 110 verse 2. Uh, Yahweh will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Yahweh's rule and his Christ's rule are one and the same thing. And David knows that it will grow even in the face of opposition. Uh, this Christ will eventually defeat every enemy that he has. Uh, see verse 3 of this psalm, he, he says, Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. I Remember, it's poetic language. It's not about invading re- uh, Iraq. Uh, David is telling us uh, this Christ is the kind of person who, who people want to willingly give their lives to serve. You see what we're being told here? The Christ is the hero's hero. He's the leader's leader. Now don't make the mistake the teachers of the law make, reducing the Christ to a mere human leader. He's the kind of person that when you really know him, you want to say, I'm delighted to give my life following him. There's no one that compares to him. So when King David hears that God has made this Christ the king who has total authority, he'll take off his little crown and be delighted to follow the real king. See, I wondered what to say by way of application. There's something we should do in response, but I guess the question I have for all of us is, is this how you think of Jesus? Are you delighted that he is the king who has total authority? Are you delighted to give your life to follow Him? To so let those questions rattle round your head, and and here's the second thing this evening, because we should delight in God's exaltation of His Christ. Now we should delight in it. I've got to admit, I found preparing this passage difficult. There was only three verses in the, the part from Mark that I was given. Philip had seven last week. Andrew had ten the week before. But the thing I found hard was. Why does Mark want us to hear these words of Jesus? Why does he want us to think about the Christ being our greatest delight? And how does it follow on from that tantalizing comment, you are not far from the kingdom of God? I remember the question from the teacher of the law back in verse 28 in Mark, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Philip explained to us last week that the sense is, how will God judge us? How will eternal life be decided? Can I say, everyone's interested in that question. Everyone wants an answer to that. Even if you're here tonight and you're not religious in any way, you still ask that question. You do it in a different way. You, you want to know what makes your life significant. Uh, what will, when you get to the end, have made it worthwhile? Uh, people come up with all sorts of answers, don't they? But the answer depends greatly on who judges your life. Jesus claims he's our judge. He's the only one that will be judging our lives. And the basis for evaluating if your life's good enough, what was he said in Mark 12, verse 30? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you've not done that, and not one of us has, the judge says we're what the Bible calls sinners. Our lives are hollow, no lasting substance. It won't stand at the judgment. See, the verse finds us guilty, enemies of God and his Christ. Uh, You realize that for all the money you could earn, for all the high position you could achieve, you won't be judged on those things. And that teacher of the law last week agreed with Jesus, and Jesus said that made him not far from the kingdom of God. And the reason it makes him not far is It's because if you've realised you're guilty before God, if you realise there's nothing you can do to save yourself, you might just ask God to save you. You might just ask God to provide someone to rescue you. Angela Kelly got more than she expected last weekend. Uh, The 40-year-old mother from East Kilbride in Scotland rechecked her lottery ticket and discovered she'd won £35 million. I'm told she'll earn £37,000 each week in interest alone. That's quite a lot, isn't it? Now that that dwarfs her current salary by, which is only twenty-one thousand pounds a year. And if money was a big problem, we could all have a go at the lottery. The chances of winning, I'm told, the way she won is one in seventy-six million. but our problem is standing guilty before God. But if you stand before Jesus humbly asking, is there anything that can be done? You'll find more than you expected. Because Jesus asks a question that lifts the lid on Psalm 110 and shows us something else about the Christ. It's there in verse 4 of Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. See, the Christ's not just the king who has total authority. He's also the priest who can provide complete forgiveness. The Old Testament had a whole system of priest sacrifices that were offered to deal with sin. In a way, they weren't the real priest or sacrifice, just like David wasn't the real king. In Psalm 110, God promised to make his Christ the priest who would provide complete forgiveness. You are a priest forever. Later in Mark, we discover that Jesus is not only the priest, he's the sacrifice as well. Going all the way to the cross to provide forgiveness for sinners who will trust him. See, when you ask the question, will I give my life to the Christ, the king who has total authority? Before you even answer, you discover that this Christ is also the priest who has given his life for you to provide for your complete forgiveness. How do you think of Jesus? Who would you compare him with? He is the king who has total authority. And he calls you to know and love him, to delight in friendship and fellowship with him. And he's given himself as your priest and saviour. To guarantee that you can enjoy him forever. And what is it that delights you? Is it the Lord Jesus? So A good place to start will be in a few moments. We'll, we'll come to take communion and we'll knee to, uh, kneel together, stiff knees providing. And kneel before the king who has given himself for us. Then perhaps something for this week. The New Testament it doesn't seem to tire of quoting or alluding to Psalm 110. It does so around 30 times. I've put six on the bottom of your handout. It'll be time well spent a reading and delighting in the Christ. Let's pray together. Amen.